Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive, it's powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Thank you, Lord, for the hope that comes in it. Um, And this morning, as we get into your word, we pray that we would hear it well, that we would listen with our hearts to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, what have we been looking at? The end of of things has been the series. Um, And I've been talking a little bit last week and the week before about, you know, Jesus coming back, what does that mean? And and we've been looking at the passages about how bad it's going to get at the end days and all those sorts of things. But what can happen sometimes as we start to worry as Christians that all these bad things are going to happen and I'm going to go through it. I spoke last week how there's this sort of hint that there may be two, two comings of Jesus. One is where he, he doesn't actually touch the earth, but he comes to receive the church up to himself and that's when the tribulation happens. And then the second time when he actually comes and puts his feet on the ground and comes back at the end of that period where he comes back to rule and reign for a thousand years on earth. So it looked like there's these two different events that might take place and and one of those events is called the day of the Lord. So if we hear the day of the Lord, that's actually a time of judgment, of calamity. That's, you know, like when we're reading through that Matthew chapter 24 when it talks about, you know, things falling out of the sky and and great darkness and, and everything's going to be shaken and that's when the Son of Man will appear in the heavens and there's going to be actually a dread on the people of the earth, the inhabitants of the earth. And sometimes we can be a little bit afraid ourselves. We're like, what about me? You know, what if I'm a bad Christian when Jesus comes back? Is there these two times? Well, I believe that there is. And you might have heard this term, the rapture, a few times throughout your Christian life, the rapture. We don't hear too much about it anymore, I guess. But what the rapture is, is basically a snatching away of the church. And different people have different timings of this. Some believe it's, you know, before the tribulation, some mid-tribulation, some at the end. But as I read through and studied this, I really believe that it's before all this judgment happens. So we read through Matthew 24 about the very end of days, the last trumpet of those seven trumpets in Revelation that that blows. Um, That's a bad one for the world. But the trumpet that we hear as Christians when Jesus comes is actually a really good trumpet to hear. And we're going to look at, actually, in Thessalonians, the book of Thessalonians this morning, uh, mainly looking at chapter 4 and 5, the end of chapter 4, start of chapter 5, about what is called the snatching up. Now, you won't find the word rapture in the Bible. It's not written as rapture. So the original Greek word, tapazo, caught up, lifted, snatched up, pulled up or transported away, but that was then translated into Latin when they wrote what was called the Vulgate, which is a a version of the Bible written in Latin during that time. And the word that they used was rapturio, which is obviously where we get the word rapture from. So you won't actually see the word rapture, but that's how it's translated through, and that is why we say that it is. And I feel like there's some Christians that are very fearful of his return, but you need not be fearful because Jesus has already spared us from judgment and we're going to be looking at that. And there's an order to how Jesus does this. So we're going to read through um, 
Matthew 24, verse 32 to 44. So we're reading a couple of quite long passages. We're not going to really delve into that bit. Um, but then we're looking at 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 5, 11. So let's just start with uh, Matthew 24. Actually, we're starting at verse 32. Yep. Now learn a lesson from the fig tree. When its branches buds, bud and its leaves begin to sprout, you know that the summer is near. In the same way, you'll see all these things you can know his return is very near, right at the door. I tell you the truth, this generation will not pass from the scene until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. However, no one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. When the Son of Man returns, it will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings, right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realise what was going to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill, one will be taken, the other left. So you too must keep watch, for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. A homeowner, if a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least expected. All right, so that's our Matthew verse. Keep in mind a couple of those, those uh, the words in there. One that's like the thief in the night, if you knew when the burglar was coming, it would be all right. It talks a little bit about signs and no one knows the time nor the hour. All right, so no one knows the time or hour. <coughs> now, let's read through the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. And chapter 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, starting at verse 13. And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to the believers who have died. So you will not grieve like people who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and was raised to life again, we also believe that when Jesus returns, God will bring back with him the believers who have died. We tell you this directly from the Lord. We who are still living when the Lord returns will not meet him ahead of those who died. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a commanding shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet call of God. First the believers who have died will rise from their graves, then together with them we who are still alive and remain on the earth will be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Then we will be with the Lord forever, so encourage each other with these words. Now concerning how and when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then a disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labour begins and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters. And you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief for you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is a time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk, but let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armour of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. For God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. Christ died for us so that whether we are dead or alive, when he returns, we can live with him forever. So encourage each other and build each other up, 
just as you are already doing. So we see here that um, there's going to be a snatching up, or as you read through this, it's like the church is there, but then all of a sudden it isn't. It's like a twinkling of the eye, the people of the earth, who are Christians, who are believers, are taken away. And this is something that came directly from the Lord. And it's an order that we see in here, that first of all, it's going to be the dead in Christ shall rise, then those of who are alive and remain. Now, you could think, well, does that mean that when we're dead right now, we don't go to heaven, that we're not there? No, I don't think it means that at all. However it works, we don't really know, but it says in the Bible that to be absent from the body is to be what? Present with the Lord. That the moment that we're, where our earthly body dies, we are present with the Lord, wherever He is, and He is coming back with those people. But at the same time, we have to understand that there's a generation that will never see death. They will never die. There's a generation of Christians, believers on earth, that at some stage Jesus is going to be coming back and taking them with him. So let's put up our next verse, if we could. And this is the order again, written in 1 Corinthians. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back, and after that the end will come. And he will turn the kingdom over to God the Father, having destroyed every ruler, authority, and power. Now I want you to notice something very, very precious in that. All right? What's going to happen? Christ is raised first. The harvest all belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. Whether you are dead or whether you are alive, you will be raised. Now what does it say after that? After that the end will come that there's somehow this escaping from judgment, and we're going to read a few more verses to that. Because the rapture, one of the points of the rapture is this, is to deliver us from God's wrath on the earth. All right, so what's the difference? The church persecution, which is in John 16, 33, it talks about how in the world that you will suffer persecution, you will have tribulation. But it's very clearly identified that the tribulation that we have here on earth as Christians comes from the enemy, the devil. The difference between that and the end times, the last seven years on earth, is that it is the wrath of God that is poured out on the earth. He is the one who brings tribulation to the ungodly, to those who don't believe, the ones who remain here on earth. So let's have a little look at a couple of the verses about that. Uh, 1 Thessalonians... 1.10, and they speak of how you are looking forward to the coming of God's Son from heaven, Jesus, who God has raised from the dead. He is the one who has rescued us from the terrors of the coming judgment. 1 Thessalonians 5.9, for God chose to save us through our Lord Jesus Christ, not to pour out his anger on us. God's anger is not directed towards a believer. His wrath is not directed towards those who have faith in Christ. In fact, this is a way that God is going to release us. So do we have another verse there, Romans 5, 8 and 9? But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified his blood, we shall be saved from what? Wrath through him. Again, you do not have to be scared. Jesus said to his disciples that I'm going to prepare a place for you. I wouldn't tell you if this wasn't so, so that you can be with me there. 
And as Paul's writing this, this letter, he's giving comfort to the Thessalonians, he's saying, it's okay, it's all good. If it was that we were going through the wrath and, and tribulation and, and all that of God, then wouldn't it be a very different letter? It would be preparing the Christians, the believers who are still alive, that there's a bad time coming and you need to get things right. And of course, we do need to get things right. But what he's saying is this, guys, be comforted. You've been delivered from the wrath of God. And thinking back to when in Mark it's talking about Noah, how what it was like in the days of Noah, what was it like? People were getting married, they were, they were feasting, everything was still normal, but it was a wicked world. And also it talks in another part of the Bible about Lot, and it talks about how Noah and Lot were both pulled out before judgment came. So I don't think it's any mistake that God put in there that Noah escaped it. A righteous man. In fact, it says that Noah was the most righteous man on earth. And when it talks of Lot and his salvation from what happened to Sodom and Gomorrah, it says that righteous Lot was saved. It says, a righteous man who was sick of the shameful immorality of the wicked people around him. He was saved from that. And don't you really think that that's what it's like with the church? That there's this, this, this sadness inside of us. We, we look at the world and we're like, oh, look at all the wickedness around us. Look at the immorality. Look at the way the world is. And yet God chose to remove both Noah and Lot before the judgment came. And that's an example to us. Not only that, what was very clear is who knew that God was coming? Noah and Lot. There was no mystery to them that, that this judgment was going to happen and then they were removed. So here's some things we know. That the Bible says, as we've read, that it'll be like a thief in the night when Jesus comes back to get us. So should we be worried? No, we shouldn't. Because that passage in Thessalonians said this, we are children of the light and we won't be surprised by it. We're not going to be surprised. We won't know the exact time, the exact hour, but there's not going to be a surprise to us when Jesus comes back. So then who's not ready? Who's going to get left behind if it's not us? It's those who don't believe in Jesus. If you are saved today, if you have given your life to Jesus Christ, if your hope is in him, you do not, be, do not need to be afraid that you're not going in the rapture. You will be going in the rapture. Why? Because as Moses and Lot were righteous, what happens to those who are born again? They are counted as righteous in Christ Jesus. Is that right? It's not our works. It's not what we've done. It's not because I'm a better Christian than someone else and it's possible that maybe they'll go and I won't. That's not what it's talking about. It's saying, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, he is coming back for you so that you can go and meet him in the air so that you can be forever with him. What an absolute joy and pleasure for a Christian, which is why we can look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ and our catching up, the rapture of the church, the taking away. And why can we be so confident about that? We are confident in our salvation. 
Because of that, we know that God's wrath will not be poured out of us. So during this rapture, what happens to us? Well, firstly, some of us who are alive, is it us? Who knows? We're going to be taken up without death. But either each of us, sorry, the ones who are dead right now and us who are alive and remain, this amazing thing takes place. It's a transformation. And we receive a resurrection body just like those who have gone before us. We know the rapture is going to be instantaneous. The Bible talks about it as a twinkling of an eye. Somehow they've measured that. I don't even know what it looks like really, Uh, I don't think. But it's like one thousandth of a second or something. I don't know how you measure that. But it comes from the word atomus. Atom, the smallest part. But we do need to remember that, that it's instantaneous, especially if you are not saved today. You need to understand that when the church goes, you can't just sit there and grab your, your neighbor's leg who's going up to heaven because you see them starting to rise. There's a, there's a point where you need to receive Jesus Christ before this day because you will miss out if you have not made the decision for Jesus. Doesn't mean you can't get saved after that point, but what it means is that there's great horror coming on the earth, so why don't you just now escape it? There's a reunion that happens. There's a reunion that happens. And it's a great thing. So when we are raptured, the first reunion or the uniting is with Jesus Christ. And it's nice to note that who comes personally for us? Jesus. The Bible talks about the church being his bride and he's coming back and he's taking her away. Who leaves a bride to be destroyed? No one. Could you imagine that? You get to the altar and something bad's going to happen and you leave that wife behind. You wouldn't do it. Jesus is coming back for his church. And and that's a beautiful thing to think of, that Jesus is coming personally for us. There'll be a reunion with our loved ones, the ones who have gone before, and and the people that we know, our friends, our family, our our relatives, whoever it might be that, that go before us. We might look a bit different. When you're looking for me, look for someone with the hair of Fabio. I may not look the same, but imagine that, the person that you know that's in a wheelchair. They're going to be different. They're going to be walking. They're going to have a new resurrection body. All of us are. (laughs) Hallelujah, indeed. But it's so exciting, isn't it, that, that we get to do that. And the other thing is that we will have a reunion with those that we had a hand in saving. It seems to hint at this in 1 Thessalonians 2.19 where Paul's talking about the crown that is around him, the joy that is around him when Jesus comes back again is the people that got saved through him. Isn't that exciting too? And, and when, don't just sit there and go, but maybe I'll be standing by myself there. You don't know how your life is affecting people around you. You don't know who's looking at you and going, I wonder what they're like. You might not even speak to them, but someone else does about Jesus. And you've been that witness to them on this earth. 
The Bible talks very clearly about one sows another waters, but God gets the increase. But I'd say to you today, why don't you start praying that instead of just being the one that sows a seed in someone's life, you get the privilege of actually reaping what someone else has sown. Why don't you start praying, God, lead me to people that I can bring into the kingdom of God, people that I can talk about Jesus to who actually make a decision as they're talking to me to follow Christ. That's a good thing. I don't think that was ever written so that we could all go, well, I don't need to speak to anyone about Jesus. I can just, you know, live my life before them, you know, and it's what I do. They'll know about Jesus. But Paul very clearly said, how can they hear unless someone preaches? How can someone preach unless they're sent? And Jesus has sent us to share the good news with those around us. So there's some fun things of the, of the rapture. I think the first fun thing is that we're missing out on the bad stuff, right? The really bad stuff. When God is executing judgment. To me, it's very clear that he's removing us before it. And we have not been saved to wrath, have we? We've been saved to live without Jesus forever. The Christian is forgiven. Their sins have been pardoned. And judgment has already been laid on the shoulders of Jesus Christ on the cross. We can do no more. What should we do about it, though? Clearly, we have to make sure we're ready. The first thing is believe in Jesus, follow him. That's the first readiness. But as a Christian, don't go to sleep. That's what it's saying in this Thessalonians chapter. Don't go to sleep. Don't, don't think that everything's all right. In fact, when it talks about Jesus coming again and how unexpected it is, we can get caught up in those signs. But what did it say there? It said, when the world is saying it's all peaceful, it's all good, then it will come. And we cannot put our trust in the politicians and, and the uh, organizations around the world that, that are going to be saying at some stage, it's all good. They're not afraid anymore. But what aren't they afraid of? Why is it all at peace? Because God has been written out of the equation. That's why it's all at peace. I don't need to worry about judgment. God's not real. I don't need to worry about eternal life or death. Because it's actually relative to what I believe. I can believe whatever I want and it doesn't matter. All roads lead to God. If there is a God. Or God is everyone. And that's the foolish, foolishness and the trickery of this world to say to everyone, it's okay, it doesn't matter, you're safe, everything's good but it's actually not. To write God out of the equation means that we are writing out our own salvation. We are banking our eternal future on selfish needs and wants to feel like whatever I want is okay and God understands. That's why it says, be alert, be ready. Be ready. Understand that you cannot be spiritually asleep. Do you know that Christianity is not a playground, it's a battleground. 
And so we are urged to put on that armor and to put it on every day because this is a battle for your soul, for the soul of your children, as Vanessa was talking about, for the soul of your neighbor, for your soul. And this morning, you might be sitting here and you're going, man, I want to go on that trip. (laughs) Pack my bags. I'm ready for Jesus to come. What do you need to do about it? Firstly, you have to get ready. Realize you are a sinner in need of salvation. If you have never received Jesus Christ, you are a sinner in need of salvation. Secondly, Jesus died on the cross for you. The death on the cross, although it was for all men, it included you personally. He died there for you so that your sins could be forgiven. Then you need to repent. Be converted. What does that mean? It means change the direction you are going in. Turn around from living without Jesus to living with him and for him. Then you have to do another step. Receive Christ into your life. And the last thing is you should do it right now. The Bible clearly says that today is the day of salvation. There's no time to wait. Do it now. That might be you this morning, and I just want to offer you that, that an invitation as our music team come up to actually pray a prayer with me, to ask Jesus into your life, to receive him into your heart, to follow after him. I'm going to pray a prayer. If that's you this morning, I'm going to ask you to pray with me. So if perhaps we could all stand up, please. Christian, you are not missing out on the rapture. Be happy. <laughs> Be happy. You're going. Still live for him while you're here. If you're not a Christian this morning, I want to change the state of your affair. Because at the moment, you're not ready to go. But right now, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me to understand this. First of all, you're a sinner. You need Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for you. You need to repent, be converted and receive Christ into your life. If that's you this morning, let's do it now. I'll pray, you just pray with me, and then I'd love you to talk to the person you came with, or come and see me up the front afterwards and say, I prayed that prayer with you, Neil. Father God, I'm so sorry for my sinful state that I haven't been living for you. I thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for me, and this morning... I just want to turn around. I want to make my life right with you. Come into my heart, I pray. From this day on, I want to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, guys. Now, if that was you this morning and you prayed that prayer, it's really important that you connect in with someone who can walk with you.
in that journey. So, as I said, who did you come with? Who's a friend? Who's a family member? If you've got no one here and you just happen to be here by yourself, please make sure you come up and see me. Even if it's not while everyone's here, I'll still be up the front at the end of the singing. You can come up and we'll pray again together and, and we'll connect you in to a relationship with someone who knows Jesus.